Come in. Here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort. Slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Hello there, Hawkeye fans. Welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. I'm Rob Howe, joined as always by Scott Docterman from The Athletic, recording on Thursday, October the 27th, 9-11 a.m. Central Time. That was exact. Usually I do a round, uh, I round it up or down, yeah. but I went, I went exact today. Hi out there to everybody on the YouTube feed. Be nice to each other in the chat room. Be nice to us. And uh, we're going to talk a lot of Hawkeyes today, obviously. It's the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast. Scott, how are you? How was the trip to uh, Columbus? Uh, the trip was okay. Uh, went out. It was a little worse coming back just because of some travel, light travel issues. Nothing worth complaining about. <laughs> <laughs> the game fit that just last second of my life there that sneeze was the kind of the game in itself so um it, it was kind of it kind of went as expected to some extent I mean you know <laughs> we we thought that the defense would play hard and it did and we thought that the floodgates would open on them eventually and it did and the offense struggled even worse than I thought it would uh so here we are three and four and um still in a significant part of the season left, but it's, it's kind of at a crossroads. I don't know what you think, but I'm kind of feeling like if there's any must win game this year, it's this one for a lot of reasons. So uh, it's pretty significant. Yeah, no question. If you're looking at big 10 games this season, this is the easiest game on the schedule on paper. Uh, We'll dive in a little little bit here on this. It's North Western and uh, anybody who follows Iowa football and Northwestern football for that matter uh, understands that there are some uh, skeletons, ghosts that seem to happen when these teams get together. We'll talk more about that in a bit. Um, We should probably start, Scott, with the, for lack of a better term, off-field conversations and topics that are being discussed right now in Hawkeye land. Uh, And it's... um, I think it kind of started at Illinois uh, with uh, David Eichholz's question that got the response of, we won 10 games. You may have noticed we won 10 games uh, last year. And then it continued that 
what was it, Wednesday we got Brian Ferris of the week after that, the bye week, and he threw out the what's the upside in terms of changing quarterbacks. And then we had Saturday with uh, the Columbus uh, Post-Dispatch, Cleveland.com. Cleveland.com. Cleveland.com asked uh, Kirk some poignant questions about nepotism, uh, his offense, and uh, he took exception with that and followed that up this week on Tuesday's press conference. And if people haven't seen any of this, I'm probably repeating it for a lot of people that are listening, but just wanted to kind of tie this together. Uh, Kirk basically, uh, I don't say lashed out, but countered what was asked of him and written about him. And I think what the discussion has been so far um, the last few days I think people have left out that actual column. Kirk read that, obviously, and he's human. And I think some of the, you know, frustration and uh, defense mechanisms that for him is what was written in that thing, not only what was asked of him. So follow that up yesterday, Wednesday, October 26th, uh, he issues a statement. uh, And I'm going to say this and, and, and maybe I'm completely off on this, but He hired a PR firm for a reason, and the release that came out as an apology to the Iowa media read like a press uh, PR release, Uh, and then he followed that up on his radio show last night, and at Scott Docterman on Twitter, you can see the video of him talking with Gary Dolphin about what he was apologizing for, and he kind of qualified the apology by saying he didn't like the tone of of how the questions were asked of him. So that's kind of where we are on this, Scott. It's a lot of drama, but that's the type of, you know, the type of stuff that goes on when, when a team, when a football team is struggling. If, if I was six and one or seven and oh, right now, we're not talking about any of this. Oh yeah. I mean, of course it's just all roses and sunshine, except for about 15 to 20% of the people who are bottled up because they can't wait to bitch. But uh, that's, that, that's what happened last year when they were six and O to start. Right. You know, yeah. uh, but, but I think um, when you see, uh, I mean, this is perfectly the, the perfect crap storm, if you will, of so many, the confluence of so many issues that it's all coming together and it's no, you know, and, and so many different ways. I mean, as you said, you know, the Illinois post game, and and that was pretty strong. I mean, there are a lot of very strong questions, and and as much as people want to get on the Iowa media for being docile, even before that, I I asked Kirk about you know whether he would make changes in the mm-hmm. during the season, and he got kind of a little taken aback by that. Um, and I, the thing is, I I have looked at you know. I'm pretty, I'm pretty laissez-faire when it comes to stuff like this. Yeah, that, yeah, there are some cringeworthy moments, but I, I, I don't have a problem with any of it. I don't have a problem with any of our questions. I know people seem to think that we take it easy on Kirk. Well, I think the thing is, we have a working relationship with him, just like everybody at Iowa, and and so the tone is probably what people think of as soft, as opposed to prosecutorial or you know, hey, uh, you know what what people want after a loss when they don't play well is they want um, Tom Cruise and a few good men with Jack Nicholson on the stand. I want the truth, you know, and you're not going to get it. You know, we're not going to be that way. We're professionals. And, um, and we do 
just like we had to cover the team when it was six and zero last year, and, and and then won the division title, we've got to cover them in good and bad, and and mediocre and and okay. So we're going to ask questions. We always say the answers are what you don't like. Um, last week in, in Columbus, you know Doug Lesmeray, who I've known for God ever fifteen years at least. Yeah, it's not some guy from a website that just showed up, you know, and uh, was looking to make his headlines. Exactly. And, you know, people have wondered about an agenda or, or something. No, let, let's, put, let's put it in perspective. Doug was a former FWAA president of the Football Writers of America Association. He's one of the most respected journalists in the country. He covers Ohio State and other topics for, the, for Cleveland.com. And it is an issue that I think most people recognize that Iowa has statistically the worst, not only the worst offense in the country, but the worst offense in big 10 play over the last 25 years. In fact, there are only five offenses in FBS that have been worse over that period than Iowa's currently. And who's running the show? It's, it's Kirk Ferentz. When you see Paul Chris get fired, you know, when you see Scott Frost get fired, when you see Indiana and Rutgers change assistants and fire them and other schools do the same thing. And Iowa continues in that's the bottom of the bottom continues to languish in this and look as poorly as it did. And as poorly organized and coached and play called and, and six turnovers and just a horrendous outing. That's going to lead to a lot of topics. And likewise, if somebody came to Iowa and played that way, I might even ask those questions and write about those topics too. So it's fair game. It's all fair game to everybody. This is big boy football. This isn't just mom and pop. This isn't Solon going to Sioux City and the Sioux City Journal blasting Solon. This is Big Ten football. So, I, you know, the, the directness in which Doug asked those questions was a little bit, took everybody a little bit aback, but not my much. I thought it was fine. I didn't see any problem with it. And I really didn't see any problem with Kirk being, I thought he was a little uh, sensitive, maybe. Um, Somewhat passive aggressive. You talking Saturday or are you talking Tuesday? Tuesday. I thought his response was a little passive Because there was a little bit of an exchange there. Well, you were there in Columbus, but I watched the video where I think Doug said, you know, you guys have the worst offense in the country. And Kirk said, I noticed. And it, there was a little bit of snarkiness back and forth during, right. the, during the questioning. And that's kind of what I, I noticed too. But Kirk is somebody who's snarky if he doesn't yeah. like the question. We've all been on the other end of that. He mm-hmm. would. I thought the response to David Eichholz was snarky when he said, yes. you may have noticed we want. So if he's worried about tone and snarkiness, it cuts both ways. Right. So no, what no he said question. last night on his radio show about tone, he needs to look in the mirror too. And yeah. again, I'm with you. I don't have a problem with what Doug did. I don't have a problem with what Kirk did Tuesday in responding to it. Um, it, 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 I think he would have been better off not responding to it on Tuesday yeah. because what it did was it was a bad look for him, one, and then two, anybody who didn't see the column that Doug wrote, yeah. he just brought the attention yeah. back to it again. So right. it was not – and then he's got an issue apology yesterday. Well, what's he apologizing for? Oh, it's a column? I hadn't seen that. I'm going to go look at the column again. Yeah. Then he goes on his radio show. It's just – 
he's not letting a story die that could have at least slowed down a little bit. And now it's continued from Saturday and we're already on Thursday. And kind of the, the issues that's represented this program this year, most, you know, on the field mostly, but a little bit off the field. And certainly now is it's all really self-inflicted. Um, the, the exchange on Saturday is something that goes on. Um, and again, it, the tone was different than what we usually do because very rarely is it that direct uh, with a coach from Iowa. Because again, we have to cover them on a daily basis. It's different when you're doing that, and it's a respectful tone. Uh, there is some start, no question. But and I, I think you know, in response to David Eichel's question at Illinois, um, had I asked that question, not sure that I get the same kind of level of start, but there's a little bit more mutual respect over time. However, uh, Kirk's, you know, he should have just let it go, not said anything Tuesday. Should have let the apology stand. And then he probably shouldn't have asked to to go on the radio show. Now he was trying to explain why he felt the way he did. I get it. I don't have a problem with any of it because uh, I'm not, (laughs) it doesn't bother me, you know, either way. Uh, But I'm like, okay, so we had a problem with the tone. I, I get the directness. It was 54 to 10. He hated it. It was at the end of a press conference. He was mad. Uh, but that's just the way it works. That's the way this, this system, you know, we ask questions. And, and it's, it's kind of funny to see some fans, not all, but some fans who are very, have been very, very critical of us over the years of, you know, we don't ask the tough questions. And then they either A, loved what he did on, on Saturday or B, hated it and thought it was unprofessional. And it's just the, you know, this, everybody's on a different avenue. And I think it's all like all sides. It's like a big circle fight. Um, but the real bottom line for Iowa is, is this good? Is this healthy? Does this get the attention off the players? Does it, does it do what Hayden used to do when he'd attack Jim Ecker or Mark Hansen or any of the others back in the 90s and, and the 80s and, and kind of deflect off his team? And does it kind of put the onus on himself? I don't think it's intentional the way Hayden did it, but, you know, it might work, actually. Yeah, and I, I was thinking about that, too, and it's a good point. And I was thinking to myself, you know, what is the crux of all of this? And we talked a little bit before we started recording at why these questions are being asked. And that's more when you, you know, you peel away this drama on the outside, what Doug asked and then what he wrote about is what the issue is. And that is nepotism and what is going on here. And he talked to Gary about this too. And that's another uh, layer of this I'd like to talk about too what, what Gary said publicly a couple, a couple times about uh, who is and who isn't Brian's uh, supervisor here which yeah. I, I am not a legal I, I, am not, I don't have any even an ounce of knowledge when it comes to the law but interested in, in hearing because I know you follow this a little bit better than me but let's first say the reason that this is being written is, and Scott will get into more of the his, how historically bad this offense is, what it is is it's a long-tenured head coach who hired his son as offensive coordinator, then doubled down making him the quarterback coach last offseason. The narrative was they were going to be better, simplify things. There was going to be a, a 
you know, a quarterback competition, all the things. Just and I'm just trying to go back here to, to kind of get to where we are now. Um, and if you're on the outside, like Doug is looking in, your view is if this offensive coordinator was Brian Smith, he probably doesn't have a job at this point. So then the nepotism question comes in. And that's what he was pretty harsh in the column. And Kirk had to have read that. And oh, yeah. that's really what he's upset about. More, more, I think, than the questioning is that he and Brian are painted in a corner here. They have to yeah. battle themselves out of this corner because they are, they have become a national punchline. And they are. They're, they've been a laughing stock since the first game, and they haven't been able to get their way out of it. There hasn't been the growth. There hasn't been the, the the strides that you want to see out of your offense and what your expectations were. I mean, and I'm not even going to, you know, it, I'm not going to justify even what happened in back in, you know, against South Dakota State, but at least in that game, in the Iowa State game, they only had one scholarship receiver available in Arlen Bruce. I mean, so – they were significantly limited in personnel and in scheme when you're trying to do that. Yeah. Okay, you know, I understand that. But there hasn't been that level of growth. There hasn't been the offensive line, which I wrote about today, um, is, is the worst part. I mean, because that's supposed to be the backbone of this offense and a lot of times this team, and yet it's it just seems to be running in place. There's not been – you know, may, yes, maybe they've made strides since camp, but other teams make strides too. So it's not like, you know, your performance is up here and theirs are just kind of languishing. I mean, other teams get better. So, uh, but I think going the, the level of aggravation that fans have that has spilled over and permeated through this program, you know, dates back to last season. Everybody saw how bad that team was. It wasn't uh, offensively. I'm sorry. Um, it really struggled. It was it averaged three and a half, you know, three point four yards per carry. The quarterback threw twelve touchdowns and eleven interceptions. Completed fifty four or fifty five percent of their passes. I mean, it was really a bad year offensively. And in the interim, what do they do to improve it? And the and the mechanisms are there to improve it. That's the issue that you can go out into the transfer portal and sign free agents and get them in there. Shows nothing. Then Ken O'Keefe gets nudged out. Brian, oh, you're going to take over now as quarterbacks coach. And that really set people off because they're like, well, what's his qualification for this? It's a bad offense. And most coordinators would get fired for this. They don't know. He's, he's staying. Um, and he's going to be quarterback coach. And then, as you said, you know, the offense was supposed to be simplified, supposed to be more, you know, everything flowing easier, that there's no, you know, middleman like Ken. Streamlined. Streamlined. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And instead, it's like stream spraying. Yes, the stream stream has gone down. And so. Reset the internet. Right. And here we are. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's like, uh, you know, our issues, uh, <laughs> your issues too, with, with your media call. But, you know, and then it, it, then this year has just been an abomination. I mean, you know, it's been ethically bad in so many different ways. And, you know, uh, and, and you take that all in totality at a program like Iowa, let's face it, it's a big 10 program. It makes, the football program directly makes 
you know, $80 million. And indirectly, 90 plus percent of the budget is football related. Um, this isn't, this isn't Coe. This isn't Cornell. This isn't, you know, Liberty High School. This is Iowa football. You're in the Big Ten Conference and, and that's your product. And your coach makes $7 million a year. Your offensive coordinator makes $900,000 a year. Uh, you know, there's an accountability factor. And right now, uh, you know, having uh, your son do this, this is the worst case scenario because it's personal. It's not just professional. Yeah. And you're a father. Mm -hmm. I mean, if somebody's coming after my family, my son, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, the natural human reaction is to be defensive. Yes, and I think that's where we are. And that's why these mechanisms are in place. Right. Anti-nepotism policies and stuff. And now that this is a, you know, a big time situation, you know, and how did they skirt it? By having him report directly to Gary Barta. And, you know, this isn't new. I always had these issues coming back from Sam Alford working for Steve Alford yeah. and, and uh, Terry Brands working for Tom Brands. And, um, you know, and I brought those up, too, and people are saying, well, it's not even the same thing. Well, you've got to put it in the same category. Yeah. You know, you know um, it, it, who knows? It might happen in a year or two with Connor McCaffrey working for Fran McCaffrey in some way. Maybe it's just as a GA. Maybe it's as, as a director of ops that like Hannah Bluter does for, for Lisa Bluter. Um, but all, all around, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's a problem. And it's not one that you can just smooth over. It's not one, even if they have a breakout performance this week, which I suppose they're capable of, it's not going to change anything. The, 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 the critical mass is gone of Brian Ferentz. They don't want Brian Ferentz there anymore. And even if they have five straight 30 point efforts, they're going to be like, eh, let's just, let's just move on. And, and, and it's your point about a son. I don't know that I would, I, I think I would feel worse if I was felt like I was forcing my son to stay rather than just let him go because I wouldn't be able to handle it, that kind of criticism. And I would hate to see my son be so stressed out all the time as Brian is. Yeah. I wonder where, um, you know, just from the human standpoint, where things, and I know people aren't going to feel sorry for somebody who makes seven and a half million and the other, and his son who makes, you know, <laughs> close to a million, uh, 900,000, whatever it is. Um, but this can't be good for them as a family to be going yeah. through this and at such, in such a public manner. And I wonder that, you know, after the season, if it's, you know, yeah, we could come back and keep the band together and try to do this again and try to fight through this and prove people wrong. But if it's, doesn't work out, how much worse can this get? I don't know how you could stand it now. Yeah. I really don't. Um, I, I don't know why you would want to put this, you know, last year was tough enough for Brian. I do know that. I know it was, there was a lot of issues, but I think, but that said, you know, there's, you're not shackled to this position. You know, you can leave. <laughs> it's not yours. You know, so I, I think, it, I don't know why you would want to continue to try because it's a toxic atmosphere. And even if, even if they win their last five games and go to a bowl game and even have success in a bowl game, and I'm not predicting that, but even if it happened, uh, 
the the this is the boat's out to sea. It's time. It needs to change, and the the system needs to change. The and the people enforcing the system needs to change. Now, could you know the the interesting discussion would be could Brian take a demotion to say offensive line coach, offensive line coach slash run game coordinator, uh, probably take a pay cut to, and would that be effective? But knowing Brian and his voice and the way it carries, would that be healthy for the team? Would that be just merely self-serving to Kirk and Brian, or would that have merit and is would be a good thing? I, I'm probably leaning on no, but I don't know. What do you think? I just, I don't know how comfortable you would be being, having been the offensive coordinator going to be, you know, offensive line coach, tight end coach. Those are his two areas that, that he's familiar with. And then being like, you know, a subordinate to somebody that you bring in as an, and who do you bring in? I mean, what would that dynamic look like? Um, And I also wonder, Scott, you know, with the, uh, the racial discrimination lawsuit out there, how much that ties hands here too. If Brian had that not been there, maybe Brian would have found another job last off season or would be more, it would be more viable to move this coming off season. That seems like that needs to be resolved before. Cause we saw what happened when urban Meyer hired Chris Doyle. That was more of an extreme because Doyle was actually you know, fired for yeah. uh, what what went on here with the racial bias. But that's part of this equation, too. And I'm wondering how much that played into the decision to bring Brian back this past offseason and then make him, you know, the, the quarterback coach and try to streamline things. It almost seemed like they were um, in desperation mode almost. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think that was part of it. And I think it was just, you know, okay, this is one way we could do it and maybe it'll be better, you know? And I just, I just don't see it. I didn't see it then. And I don't see it now that how is it going to be better? You know, is he going to be able to, you're, you're still working through the same constrictive parameters that this offense has. So that's 20 plus years. It's really about 10 years behind. Um, but it's been in place for almost 25 and that not much has changed. And then you're looking at somebody who hasn't played the position and is now just finally coaching the position and understands his limitations and what he can, you know, as far as fundamentals go and what he can and can't teach. I just don't know that any, there's really much positives right now. I, I think if you move him to offensive line coach, that I think that area improves dramatically very quickly because I do think Brian is outstanding in that area, and I'll give him his plaudits there. Um, but I, I think, so, you know, to handle that and, and, you know, can Brian's personality enable a different offensive coordinator, whether it's John Budmeyer uh, to, to take the reins? Can he work with him and, and John call the plays and do all that? Or... Um, or would he overshadow that kind of, because sometimes you can just be that, that elephant in the room that just makes everything difficult. Uh, you know, I don't know. And so, you know, probably the best thing for everybody involved is a clean break, you know, for Brian, you know, to, to go and, you know, he can, 
I'm sure there are a lot of NFL teams that would hire him. We've all, we bring up Bill O'Brien quite a bit, but, you know, I talked to Bill and he said he'd, he tried to hire him twice at Texans and with Penn state as offensive line coach. That makes sense. If Bill O'Brien gets a gig after the season, after Alabama uh, wins the national title or gets the playoff or whatever, you know, <laughs> that he goes with Bill and, and they uh, he coaches offensive line, maybe call, you know, his run game coordinator and, and uh, then they just kind of start over, whether that's keeping and retaining George Barnett or that's changing offensive line coach, whether that's having a, uh, you know, new quarterback slash uh, offensive coordinator. And maybe that person wants to bring in their own, um, you know, their, their own wide receiver coach, which is probable. You know, I, I think all that should be in play. I mean, at this point, because, Ultimately, the responsibility of Kirk Ferentz is to this program. This program takes precedent over personal and, and every other issue. And right now, the personal is getting in the way of that ultimate decision. Yeah, it seems, as you said, that Bill O'Brien would be uh, a possible uh, landing spot for Brian if he were to move on from, from Iowa The the question for Bill O'Brien will be is if he goes to a college program, he's going to have to clear with people at that college program. Hey, we're bringing this guy in. He's got a yeah. he's got a lawsuit going against him. He's not been the most popular guy yeah. uh, in his fan base. He's, you know, he, it's, he's been talked about nationally as not getting the job done. That makes it a little bit more sticky or tricky, I think, for Bill O'Brien. For me, Scott, I just wonder how this is playing in the locker room. And yeah. I'm not going to press players on, you know, what they're feeling and because I don't think it's fair to them. But they're watching what we're talking about, what's going on on the outside right now and the drama and the criticisms. And I, and I think certainly think there's a faction that will rally around that and say, hey, we're going to we're going to fight for our coaches. We're going to do whatever we can. And, and as you talked about, there's a limitation to that based on what they have right now, just from a personnel standpoint. But I also wonder, some, you know, at some point, if the negativity permeates that locker room, particularly if things continue to struggle here. And to your point, that's Kirk's responsibility. or That's the biggest responsibility is putting these players in the best position to succeed they're the ones working the hardest. They're the ones putting their bodies on the line every week. That to me is where um, the focus should be. And what I'm, I, I don't want to say concerned with, but what I wonder how that's going to uh, progress here as we get through the rest of the season and how those guys are feeling. Yeah. And I think we noticed it a little bit the other day. I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I guess I now have a different, I'd have a different perspective on some of these players that, you know, having kids their age and, yeah. you know, in the last few years, I've really kind of focused and looked at them and, you know, even since 2020 to try to identify their, their personality and their, you know, their feelings a little bit more and, and watching Arlen Bruce. Um, I, I, I was really, I was really kind of sad for him because he's been such a jovial, fun guy to talk to uplifting, you know, and, and, you know, I, I enjoy having quality conversations with these young men. I mean, they're, they, they all work hard. We know that they're all, for the most part, I, I don't, I, I can't think of very many negative ones that I've dealt with, but 
you know, to see all that joy, all that fun sapped out of him, it's taking a toll. It, it just is. And, you know, and then there's the, the mental side of things. And, and I don't want to get into that too much. But, you know, the thing that I worry about is confidence wise. And I don't know that Kirk has acknowledged it or will acknowledge it is that they don't have a voice on the offensive side, except for their quarterback, who may not even be starting, that they can lean on. They don't have leadership that really stands out and stands strong, and is vocal and is, um, you know, they don't, they don't have much of that. I mean, they, every one of their linemen that starts, unless Jack Blum starts Saturday, is an underclassman. Um, Sam Laporta is a senior um, and Nico Regani is a senior. I don't know that they have that kind of, you know, swagger. I mean, they're not captains, you know, yeah. Spencer does, but performance a lot of times determines that and players aren't always going to follow the guy who isn't playing very well. And then finally in the, in the backfield, um, none of the running backs, you know, Monty Potabom is, but he hasn't played real well either. And, and so I don't know that they have that voice like they do on defense where you can kind of rally around the family. And uh, so their confidence might be pretty shaken at this point. And you've got to do something to get that back. And it's not about Brian. It's not about Kirk. It's about them. And, and they, you've got to put them in a position to succeed as best as you can and limit the drama so they can focus on the things that are most important, which is going out and having, having fun and winning. And, um, and if they don't experience some success on Saturday, it's going to be really bad over the final month of the season. Yeah. As you said, um, let's talk a little bit more, uh, foot, actual football. We'll go back and look briefly at Ohio State. We don't have to go over, go over that much. It was kind of what we thought, you know, the defense held what? 133, 133 yards in the first half, roughly, yeah. Ohio State, which is incredible. Um, and really had C.J. Stroud on the heels and, you know, stuffed the running game. It really did a nice job in that first half, but eventually wore down. And the offensive shortcomings were epic. And just, you know, from the first throw of the game to the last throw of the first half on the pick six to, um, you know, making the quarterback switch in the second half. And that'll this will kind of lead us into the quarterback discussion as well. But uh, I, I, I don't know what the game plan was. I don't know what the approach was to that Ohio State game from an offensive standpoint, Scott. Me either. Uh, Off a bye week, mind you. Yeah. I, I looked at, you know, and I tried to watch some of it, and it was really, it's really pointless because. I did the it, same thing. I tried, but it was like, why, why do this again? You know, the only thing I, I, I always watch it to confirm uh, yeah. personnel groupings because I, I do chart those very extensively. How am I, and, and this year it's almost a waste compared to the past, yeah. you know, it's like, well, how often do they, you know, run the ball out of 21 personnel versus how often do they run it out of 12? And, you know, this year it's just such a disaster that it's uh, I mean, it's almost, qualified like the COVID year when it comes to, <laughs> to, to figuring that stuff out. I don't know why you keep doing it, but, but uh, you know, they're, 
they needed to have a coherent plan. How do you attack a team that's superior to you? How does John Licklider compete with Evan Turner? That's really kind of, he doesn't. <laughs> and they didn't. Um, and that's, it reminded me of that damn game back in 2010 when they played on Super Bowl Sunday. I was there and you've got L- John Licklider defending against Evan Turner. And I'm like, National Player of the Year, player probably shouldn't be ever out there, except maybe in the exhibition or something. And when you have that kind of disparity, and that's kind of what we saw offensively. I mean, um, you know, Ohio State's offense obviously is the best in the country, and <laughs> Iowa's offense is obviously the worst. But the defense is pretty good, too, for Ohio State. I just thought that they've got to figure out something that they could try to do to move the ball somehow. And I thought for me, your athletic ability is not even in the same category. You're more like a D3 offense going against a a Division I offense. Maybe your best bet is your physicality, and you're not been very good at that, but maybe you can make that your best punch just to limit their athletic part of it. And maybe it's go three tight ends, maybe one receiver in the game, and just just try to hammer them kind of the way you did – nine years ago it probably won't work but you know what nothing else will either and instead first freaking play of the game you have your quarterback roll to his left and he doesn't do that very well anyway or at all didn't see the guy obviously step right in front of him for an interception you know series or two later a fumble on a sack he could have just eaten the ball you know pick six this is after your defense you know after all those turnovers in the first half. And then Torrey Taylor's ill-fated run, you know, all of them, they had the ball inside the 35, four different times, Ohio state. And they held them to four field goals on those possessions. And, you know, they had one long drive, but guess what? It's Ohio freaking state. You know, they, they got players there and they're down 19 to 10 with a couple minutes left in the half. What I kept thinking is don't do anything stupid. Try to get out of the half right now, down nine. It, you know, it still feels insurmountable, but trying to make this respectable, you know, and voila, bad, bad, bad pass across the middle to, to Tommy Eichenberg, who's now the national freaking player of the week, even though Jack Campbell deserved it more than he did. And pick six, Alex Padilla comes in and he can't get the snap, you know, whether it's his fault or Logan's, I think it, Logan had owned it, but it, one way or the other. Then you have an interception two plays later. It's just a, a train wreck of epic proportions. I've never seen anything like this. And it goes to everybody involved. And it starts at the top. I mean, if you can't, if you don't have good management, you don't have good play calling, you don't have good coordination, you're not going to get anywhere when you have an offense like this. No, and, um, you know, at the end of the game, when all said and done, it's the most points allowed uh, during the Kirk Ferentz era, and that couldn't be more more misleading because yeah. you because you see that and you're like, wow, the defense really sucked, mm-hmm. and that just goes to show you how historically bad this offense is that it could do that to its own defense. Right, I know. I mean, you think about first play of the second half. Jack Campbell looks like a tight end. He looks like Brian Erlacher out there intercepted a pass at you know, the 44-yard line of Ohio State. Incredible it's, play. Just it was, 
that's one that goes down as that'll be one of the most when I look at like just individual plays in my time covering this team, that's up there. It was a tremendous catch that he made. And he's made great plays the last two years. He, you know, he's a guy that I will fight for as first team all of there. <laughs> you know, he's that good. And then and a Campbell out, and a Campbell Award finalist too. So right. he does it in the classroom. Exactly. He is like your if you're an NFL team, you not only want this guy to be your uh, starter, uh, you know, a starter middle linebacker, inside linebacker for 10 years, but he brings in extra elements to the locker room because he, he's, the, he's the John Wayne, the man's band. When he walks in, you recognize. He's like, okay, that's a guy. That's a man. I'll follow that guy anywhere because he lives it and proves it. And, and I think – the very next play to fumble that stamp or did not get it, one of the two, is a, an utter disgrace. It's almost like, you know what, guys, go to the locker room. We just aren't going to play without an offense today. And and so now you're, you're Did stuck. somebody do a study that said that they would have been better off just punting? Yeah, that they'd be better off with taking three knees and punting. I mean, how bad is that? And and so, to me, I, you, how you get yourself off the map for this, I don't know. Again, I, you know, watching, you know, there, there's no confidence among some of the skill position players, you know, a receiver probably more than anywhere. I, how do you get going? Well, that's the challenge, and that's the focus that they've got to put all of their effort into is seeing how – you know, last year I used the analogy, it's like getting the last couple drops out of the ketchup bottle. <laughs> you know, this year it doesn't count because you're way beyond that. Now it's about just getting anything positive moving forward. And, uh, you know, Arlen Bruce, to his credit, you know, said, you know, those the defenders are busting their ass for us. I can't believe we're doing this to them. And, and you know, of course, Campbell was like, I don't need any sympathy, you know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> You know, we're out there playing and you know, all that stuff. But uh, I don't know, man. Um, you know, a lot of negativity swirling. Now, I will say this. It's traditionally at this time when you see this is when Kirk battles back. And this is when Kirk gets pretty damn good. And he's as good as I can, I've ever seen at this. That when it, shit hits the fan and adversity's at its worst level, all the way through, that's when Iowa really shines. That's when the character comes out. That's when the toughness comes out. And it's right there now, you know. So, you know, will he be the one? Will there be a locker room video of him balling his eyes out, you know, getting the game ball or something like that? Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me a bit. Uh, let's uh, take a little break here. Let me get this read up. <laughs> As you guys know, if you've listened to this podcast, and if you haven't, um, I'm bringing, bringing it to you for the first time, but support for this podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at sui.org. And we will uh, hear from some more of our sponsors here. And uh, Scott and I will be back on the other side to uh, talk some more Hawkeye football, maybe more uh, try to uplift you guys up a little bit more than we have during the first 
hour or so of this program. Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483. 400-4483. Oriza Asian Cuisine and Bar is celebrating its fifth year anniversary. Enjoy Chinese, Vietnamese, Thai, and Korean all combined into one menu. Visit 5 Sturgis Corner Drive next to Staples in Iowa City. Open 11 to 10 every day, 365 days a year, or visit online at arisaic.com. Hi, this is A.J. Perez, Managing Partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. And we are back. Thank you to the sponsors. Anybody on the YouTube feed saw Scott doing some type of Danny Terrio dance. And if you don't know who Danny Terrio is, it's probably because you're not 50 like us. <laughs> or Scott's almost for your 50 almost. next year, right? Yeah, next, next year. Yeah, so you'll, go, hey, you'll I- come into the, the next stage of old dudeism. Yeah, I watched a, a movie last night. Uh, I decided I wanted to get away from the football aspect, and um, I watched a movie on uh, Studio Fifty Four with Brian <laughs> with Ryan Philippi and Nev Campbell and Michael Myers. I've seen and, that film. Yeah, so I'm like, I just gotta, <laughs> I just gotta get away from this mentally a little bit. That is a good escape because that's yeah. not anything near what Iowa football is. Yeah, Studio right. Fifty Four. So. Um, we touched on it a little bit, Scott, but let's, uh, let's use it to get back into the discussion. Um, Ohio state, not a good half for Spencer Peters in the first half. I don't think the coaches had any choice, but to make a change there, people, you know, were like, well, was that designed? Was that planned? No, that pick six pretty much said, I don't know how Kirk goes into the, could go into the locker room and, look at his coaches and his offensive players with a straight face and say, Hey, we're going to put Spencer back out there again after what we saw. And that's not to say this is all on Spencer. As Scott said, the play calling was very suspect in that first half. Um, but here we are. Um, and I think you wrote about this earlier this week, a rare in season quarterback competition at Iowa uh, we kind of had this in 2014, but it never felt like Beathard was going to take over for Rudock in that season. Uh, and then it just progressively got worse. And then it was the Tax Slayer Bowl, and that was not good. And then we had what we had after that, some change, so to speak. Um, I'll say for me, and I, and I certainly want your opinion on this, I don't think it was um, a – I don't think Alex was put in a position where there were the odds were good that he was going to succeed. It, it, the 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 deck was stacked against him in a major way. So I think you look more at what he did last year and what they've seen in practice, which we don't get to see in terms of how much he's developed since last year. And uh, both Jordan Kanzeri and Jovan Johnson kind of agree, we all agreed on this on the Rapid Reaction podcast Saturday. I think Padilla deserves a chance to start this game, but I have a feeling he won't. 
if he doesn't. And I feel bad for when Spencer runs out there because I think the reaction's not going to be good. And that just gets you off on a bad foot. I, I think that would be as bad of a I, I think that would be as bad of a move as you'll ever see. And that and that and I'm not you know me. I, I think the world of Spencer Peters. As do I. And I think I think he is as stand up and accountable of a young man as I've ever seen at this level. At any level, frankly, I think he he will be a success in life. Um, but it wouldn't be good for him either at this point. I think it's now time to say, you know what? We're going to give Alex the chance. We're going to see what he can do. We have a lot of confidence in him, just like we had a lot of confidence in Spencer. But it's, but the offense is, has not performed. We need to see if this changes anything. Because when you look at a lot of Padilla's uh, games, um, he yes, he's had some opportunity, but Ohio State and Michigan were his last two against two of the best teams in the country each time and mop up duty or after an injury and after you know get the at the Death Star. Uh, even last year when he had uh, when Spencer got hurt at Wisconsin and he came in, he yeah. wasn't um, that wasn't a winning situation. If he does anything, it's a miracle. So I think it. When you throw that out there and then you look at, okay, how did he do against Northwestern, Minnesota, and uh, Illinois. Illinois, and Minnesota did okay. It was like 11 to 24, um, he, but he was struck, either instructed to or did anyway, throw the ball down the field and God, just do that. I'll, I'll accept watching maybe one accidental long pass. I'll take it. Um, and then Northwestern, he was, pretty good 18 to 28 and then Illinois he, his numbers were bad but he had five drop passes I, I went back and watched that game earlier in the summer because that was one that I was gonna have Brian kind of talk about but I kind of ruled it out because Brian was like nobody wanted to play that day <laughs> you know I mean he looked at every single aspect and it was like Geez. and and so um, they had five drop passes so that's not really on him and then the Nebraska game that he started he had the flu and and so did Spencer but Spencer was better in a better position, like by a day or two. So I look at it as it's time to give him his chance. He needs to have this opportunity because you need to understand what you've got coming back next year. Maybe he goes out and he plays really well. Maybe he's ready for this. And maybe in practice, he doesn't have the command uh, or whatever that, um, um, that Spencer has, but maybe he goes out and performs in a game. And you could say, you know what, maybe we can win with this guy. Or it just confirms everything that you thought all along, which is great kid. You know, we, yeah, we, we could play him if we need to, but he's just not going to win the games in the Big Ten on a consistent basis. And then you got to hit the portal. And you really you need to figure that out with your younger players too. So in my eyes, I, I think it would be among the worst decisions Kirk Ferentz can make to bring Spencer Petras out now. Maybe you do it later. Maybe it's um, – Two games. Like, the, like the Nebraska game last year. Yeah. If Padilla is not effective, you can always go back to him. Right. And not to the point where you're having him look over his shoulder or anything. Yeah. But let's say he's like one of 10 with three interceptions and you're still in it and it's 10 to three or something. Then, okay, this is why, guys. This is why I've been doing it this way. And, and then you just kind of say, Alex, at the end of the year, you graduate, you know, you might want to find somewhere else to go. Uh, <clears throat> but I don't think you. Let you know, make it this you know, uneven competition. 
I think it's time to just turn the page. You know what you have in Spencer Petras, and it hasn't, frankly, been good enough. Yeah, and let's be honest here. Even when Alex came in at the end of last year, um, we were already at the point after the 6-0 start that it was up to the defense and special teams, and that's carried over into this season where it's to the point now where really you just don't want the offense to screw it up. And I think when you look at these last five games, Scott, against teams with a combined record of 17 and 20, and yes, Northwestern skews that a little bit because it's one and six, but these, you know, Purdue has the best record of the remaining opponents and it's five and three and just Mm -hmm. lost at Wisconsin. These are very winnable games. You Mm -hmm. need to get to a point on offense again for the for the players they deserve this put the offense in a position where you can aid the defense and special teams as much as you can but for god's sake stop hurting it to the point where no matter how well they play mm-hmm. you're still you still have no chance and yeah. that's really where they need to be here going into these last five games because they're all winnable but they're all losable Exactly. You could flip a coin on any of these games, including this one on Saturday. I mean, they beat Iowa three straight at Kinnick. Yeah, if you're taking uh, Northwestern lightly, you're a fool. Yeah, it's like you've never watched this series ever before. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, how many you, you you chalk up like the say, you know, and I don't even want to go through it, but like the ten biggest soul crushing losses of the Ferentz era. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're looking at at least a third of them coming to this team in purple. You know, and and one thing I looked at was, and they almost beat you last year, right? Well, eight. This is the eighth time they've been a double-digit favorite on on Northwestern. The first six Northwestern won outright. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's we're talking amazing. outright as a double-digit underdog, and then last year they were a double-digit underdog. Iowa won seventeen to twelve, but if that would if they would have had a four and a half quarter game, it would have been nineteen to. 70 or something you know it would have went the other way so <laughs> this is not a series that you ever have you just you know as long as pat fitzgerald's leading that team and i don't understand i don't see how that's never going to happen in the next 20 years um you're just going to have to look over there and say you're going to get a four-quarter effort and you're going to have to even when you're up double digits you're going to have to figure out a way to to just keep them down and fight because they're gonna fight and so i think this is a this is again you know, offense it? is going to fight. 2020, where they, Iowa got out to the big lead? 17 to nothing at home. Now, granted, there was nobody in the stands. And I don't, right. I think if they're up 17 to nothing at, at home with a loud Kinnick, don't know that they quite do what they do. But you know what? They, that, that turned out, I, that I think. That was not a good day for Brian Ferentz. No, that was his, that was one of his worst games. And that was the one where we actually kind of argued in our, uh, a little bit in in my sit down with him because I'm like why didn't you run the ball more and he's like well what do you mean I'm like you know you think you had your quarterback throw 51 passes against that defense and Hank Witz has been coaching against you and your system for 15 years and he's like I can't run you know you can't run the ball these guys if you're not able to do it and this is why and he'd show me why and there was a couple times under his breath like run the ball he's good you know and but I'm like, you know, when they were down only 21 to 20, they were playing like they were down 10. 
you know, and call plays like they're down 10. And they got a quarterback who's going against which turned out to be an outstanding defense. And yes. They won the division and they won uh, the Citrus Bowl and, and they damn near beat Ohio State in Indianapolis. So they, they had a really good team. But um, they just, you know, like I, I remember late in that game, Jack Kerner intercepted a pass and they had the ball like right around the 30 or so. And the play that we watched for a good 20 minutes just to go through every single aspect of it was the interception that bounced off Sam Laporta's hands and Brandon Joseph picked off. It was like at the 25 yard line of them. If that ball hits the ground, they at least have a field goal attempted. Maybe they get it and they go up two. You know, it, it's just, it was a bad bounce. It was bad luck. Still, this is all, <laughs> this is all, you know, what you're dealing with. And even in the bad years, they've had, they, you know, 2009, you know, Ricky Stanzi, 2010, Dan Purse has come back and on and on and on and on. You know, 2018, they clinched the, the West Division title at, at Kinnick Stadium. So yeah, I, I guarantee you those, you know, those numbers or those games will come up this week. So LaShawn Daniels is the honorary captain, by the way. Cool. Yeah. <clears throat> um. You know Pat Fitzgerald's going to have a good game plan. They usually do. I don't hate Wits isn't there anymore, but they're going to have a good game plan. Uh, they made a change at quarterback, um, which is interesting because the guy they have in there now is more like some of their uh, guys that have caused Iowa problems in the past. I think Iowa's better equipped to handle a quarterback like that than it was mm-hmm. 10 years ago. Um, but a little bit different look for them. Uh, I still have the utmost confidence in Iowa's defense, but Evan Hall's a player. Uh, Skaronsky's probably the, you know, arguably the best player on the field. Um, mm-hmm. They've got some other decent guys on on the offensive line. Uh, they've got some players on defense. So this one is a scary one, I think, for Iowa, just because of how Iowa comes into this game. It's really a good litmus test to – where this team is from a mental standpoint going into this game. Cause it's hard to think of being lower point um, coming into a game than where Iowa is at right now, uh, at least in this season's lens. So this is one that is a little scary. Mm, oh, for sure. And, you know, and to me, the scariest aspect, it isn't really what the defense does. It's what the offense doesn't do or it's what right. the offense does um to kill itself you know i mean a pick you know like if there are turnovers like last week they're gonna lose yeah. um you know and if they play turnover free ball and if the and let's say that the uh you know field position battle is fairly even then then i think northwestern maybe can get 13 points on iowa you know, uh, you know, two drive, two field goals and a touchdown is something that I think they're capable of. That's kind of what happened last year. I think uh, I was capable of that this year. The problem, can Iowa get 17 points? Can Iowa get 20 points? Yeah, but they're probably going to need to force a turnover or two to do it. And, uh, but if they fumble the ball, you know, at the 23 yard line, gift wrap them a field goal or even a touchdown, that's that's going to be tough because Northwestern, you know, we've seen it. It's it's kind of like Iowa State, but probably stronger is that they can 
put everything out of their minds and just focus on the task at hand, probably because they're so damn smart, um, <laughs> that they do it better than anybody. And they do it better at Kinnick Stadium than anybody I've ever seen. So they, they've got to be cognizant. Now, Brandon Sullivan had a nice game against Maryland. Um, he's going against a much better defense. Um, Evan Hull is a, is a kind of kid you'd love to have if you're Iowa. I'm not saying he's better than LaShawn Williams or, or Caleb Johnson. I don't know if that's the case, but he, he just fits what you love about them. And, of course, Peter Skronsky, they wanted him from day one. Yeah. And, they'd st- and they would do anything to flip him right now in the middle of the season if they could. But, uh, you know, because he'll be a, a top 15 pick come April. Yeah, no doubt. This seems like a game, Scott, where Iowa, there's a chance to get the running game going. Northwestern is not good against the run. Second worst in the Big Ten, I believe. Um, yeah. This is this should be a game where you can establish the run and maybe set up some play action and get the ball down the field. That's to me, that's the approach here that you want to take. And by running the ball, you get you give your defense a little bit of bit of a break, and maybe you can get a couple first downs. Yeah, for sure. If they could, you know, if you had like just goals and I'm not talking about winning, losing. If there are like two goals that I have for Iowa's offense this week, one is reach a hundred yards rush. They've only done that once this year, which is just. That's disaster. amazing. In fact, they've only hit 80 once this year. And that was Nevada. And two of those were really long runs. So, and they, they had like 162 yards, but 95 of them were on Caleb Johnson's two touchdown runs. If they can get to 100 yards rushing, even if it's 35 carries and it's three yards a carry, who gives a shit? You just get there. The other one is, and and I dare I say, can you imagine how glorious it would be to watch like a 65-yard touchdown pass? I mean, a long touchdown pass. I don't know if people with the kidding would know what to do with themselves. I don't either. I mean, this is like going back to Hayden Fry about the first down. It would help beer sales. Yeah. I mean, it's like. (laughs) Let's drink. (laughs) Well, that's what they should do. You know, imagine every bar in town having a special, uh, you know, if Iowa throws a, a touchdown pass of 50 plus yards that you have 50 cent draws for the next, you know, 15 minutes or something like that. Oh, my God. I would do it. That is a great promotion. <laughs> you know, because over the last 15 games since their 6-0 and start, they have five total touchdown passes. And uh, two this year, right? Two, two this year. Yeah. And uh and then um, the crazy part is the defense over that span has scored four, and then they've had three safeties. So the defense and the passing game have the same number of points. The, the leaders, as far as points go, Jack Campbell and Joe Evans, each with a touchdown and a safety. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, Laporta almost had two, you know, with the Nebraska overturn, but it yeah. happened, you know. Um, at this point, when you're approaching game eight, and you have two touchdown passes. If you need anything else to say, yeah, maybe we need to look at a different quarterback. I think that's that that probably fits. We've kind of uh, touched on it in a roundabout way throughout our podcast, but all of what we're talking about starts up front, and you have a story on that today. How we've gotten here, um, Connor Colby. Starts at right tackle, gets moved inside last week, gets benched, come back. They're they're in disarray right now on the offensive line. And what do you feel like is going to happen this week? Do we see Jack Plum give give him a chance? Um, 
what's going on here with this unit. Um, talk about your story a little bit, kind of how we've gotten here and and maybe what can be done in these last five games to maybe make a step, take a step forward here. Yeah, Rob, you know, um, you know, you recover recruiting as good as anybody. And, you, you know, when you go back and Iowa's style, usually almost every year is that they generally have like a, a senior or two who are NFL caliber players, you know, whether they're draft picks or just they stand out, but they're pretty good. You know, everybody from an, uh, Austin Blythe and an Ike Bucker to a Tristan Morris and an and Alec Jackson type, you know, but you have those guys who are kind of your anchors. And then you have um, maybe a try hard or two, you know, the guys that are from small town, Iowa, that just work, work, work. Maybe they're a walk on, maybe they're a recruit, but they just get in there, you know, your Kyler shot type, you know, or your Keegan render, or, you know, just somebody who really fights. And then, then they usually have one or two, younger players that, you know, what the guys we've seen now, you know, a Connor Colby type who maybe Connor Colby and Mason Richmond, one it might be a starter and the other one might be a rotational guy. And that's kind of been the crux of how Iowa's kind of recycled itself up front for all these years. And then eventually, you know, it gets to be a pretty good line and then they lose and then, but that they kind of have that cycle. Well, when you look back at the, at the 18 and 19 classes, which were, you know, fifth year and fourth year players, it's whispers. It's ghosts. Um, when you look at, um, you know, the, the 18 class in particular, Jack Plum's the only person who's even contributing. And, you know, he did, hasn't started. He needed to, this year, he needed to be one of those good stories. And it hasn't happened. Cody Entz, if he wasn't hurt, would have been one of those good stories. It didn't happen. Um, you know, and then you had, I think Jeff Jenkins left early and, and then the next year you had, you know, Ezra Miller, who we all expected to be a really good player. Now he's at Nebraska and hasn't played yet this year. Noah Fenske's at Colorado. He's a backup center. Uh, Justin Britt has been hurt. Uh, Tyler Andrews hasn't even cracked the depth chart. And, and so you, the, the, you needed at least like two of those players to start for you. And, you know, and you don't have any. So then you start looking at your younger players and their development and how they've gotten there. And when you're looking at, you know, Mason Richmond, most years would probably be about your somewhere between your third and fourth best lineman, because you'd have like an Alaric Jackson or Ike Bucker or somebody like that, Jordan Walsh, Um, you know, instead he's banning left tackle. I think he's got like 19 career starts. Connor Colby is a position where he should probably be a rotational redshirt freshman instead of a, a long-term starter as a sophomore. Um, you know, guys like Bo Stevens and Tyler Ellsbury. I mean, they're all in that level that they've been pushed up because of the attrition level and because of the, you know, lack of development, recruiting issues. All of those things really stunted this unit. And then finally, it's center. Um, this is the second one in a row. You had to flip over the other side of the ball. And Logan, I think, has the starter kit to be an outstanding one. But ideally, what would have been better for him and, and probably for this team would have been if he would have been the, the second team center last year um, and, and then been there. So I kind of looked at that as kind of the background for this. And so as goes Iowa, so go the, the offensive line. And, and that's really 
that's the biggest disappointment for me for this offense because I did think that last year by throwing those guys in there early, they would get enough experience that maybe they would start to click and be a better unit. And then when you get to, when you reach this part of the season, then maybe they'd have some chemistry, but it's been far from that this year. Yeah, it's not the strength and conditioning program. I've seen that thrown out mm-hmm. there, and it's not affecting the guys on the defensive line. They seem, uh, yeah. they seem to be developing just fine. This is more just – I mean, there were some plays the other day, Scott, and I know it's Ohio State where it just looked like they didn't know – the offensive line just was not – didn't know their assignments almost. Yeah. Just guys just blowing by it. Um, and that's kind of been the theme this year where they're giving up – you know, pl- you know, plays where the running backs and the quarterbacks have no chance yeah. to do to to run the play because of the offensive line being so leaky. Um, and I don't know, you know, moving forward here, what you can do to kind of patch this up. Um, but I think, you know, seven games into the season, inexperience doesn't work as well as it does, as you said, back in that South Dakota State game. These guys have played seven games now. And we're not seeing progress we normally see. And maybe we see that in the last five games. And these guys take a step forward and they look, you know, like the cap one ball last year where it looked like they took a step forward. Of course, the guy in the middle was beating the shit out of everybody. And he's not here anymore. He's doing that in the NFL. So they've, I mean, this is, we talk about crossroads for the program. This is really a crossroads for that position. Yeah, for sure. And that's why I think that this is, for every reason we've talked about all uh, game, that this is the most important game of the season. And this will set the tone for the whole program in the off season. If they go to three and five, they're not going to the bowl game. Let's just not even try to, to rationalize that or think about that. Uh, they have to win, but they also have to win not 12 to nine with four field goals versus three in overtime something stupid like that they have to go out and play well they need to build confidence and the running game is is a part of this if the running game can get and and not only big runs I mean yes you'd love to see a 35 yard touchdown run by Caleb Johnson but I think what you really need to see is a five yard average you know you know in the fourth quarter if you're winning um, let's say you're winning 13 to 3 you want to see him drive at 60 yards over eight minutes and you're putting the, you're just pounding them and get a touchdown, punch it in. So you feel like you're building confidence up front. You have to be there right now because you want to, you want to have something to build on. Like, okay, we had a good performance. We can, we have a lot to work on, but man, that felt good. Did it, you know, and, and that's what they really need. And if they can't get that this week, they're not going to get it the rest of the year. I mean, Wisconsin has a lot of different fronts you they throw at you. They're they're not a good Wisconsin team on defense, but they're capable. Um, Minnesota will play you hard. Nebraska's not very good either. You know, you sh- it could be like a Northwestern type defense, but still, Purdue is yeah, they're okay um, on defense. But you need to build something. And that's what this one is. If they can pass protect a little bit, if they can run the ball with effectiveness, that really, that, that is going to be the perfect deodorant for this offense, uh, provided they don't turn the ball over. Yeah, no question. And if you think of it like, okay, we've, you know, had our face smushed in the mud, because you look at it, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Ohio State, Michigan, Illinois, and Iowa State are all top 
Tech defenses coming into this week. So Mm -hmm. they've had experience against some of the best. So now that the schedule softens up a little bit more, there's really no excuse. You should be better from the games you've played, and it should make it to the point where you can show growth here over the rest of the regular season. And and then you have, you know, where they are right now. And then, you know, it, it's not too early for us to project where they can be in a year from now. And with all this youth and, and experience and struggle that they've dealt with, it can parlay down the road. You saw firsthand in Kirk's first few years yep. playing that young offensive line with a walk-on tight end named Bruce Nelson and a former tight end named Eric Steinbach and a former tight end named Robert Gallery. And damn, they were pretty freaking good. Um, I'm not, I'm not putting this. <laughs> I'm just saying that the, the parallels are that now you've got a really, really young group that's struggling the way that one did that really, it was a grind, but once it developed, it got better that by the end, they were pretty damn good. And I, and I think what it does is you, you look at who you have and then you look at Caden Proctor coming in in January and I think with Caden Proctor, don't mess around. You know, okay, if you want to make it a competition, fine. But if he's good enough, you put him on, you know, left side, right side, I don't care. You make him a starter from day one and say, he's, look at this guy. <laughs> he's our, he's our guy. And, yeah. and then you just, then everybody continues to compete because then it's like, all right, now you've got something. Now you can start building, you know, but it really starts today. It starts Saturday and then next week. To, to make progress, make strides, show growth. And let's face it, George Burnett needs to show it too. Because, you know, uh, and I'm not Kirk Ferentz, so I don't have the hiring firing ability, but it's been a rough go the last the, this, these two years. Is it on him? Is it just the youth? Is it the inexperience? Is it the injuries? I don't know. But we got to find out because Kirk has said it a few times that we thought they'd be farther ahead. And, and that kind of that kind of goes to coaching. Yeah. And who better to evaluate the performance of an offensive line coach than Kirk Ferentz. So mm-hmm. I, I would trust in him being able to evaluate that after the season, depending on what we see the rest of this season, and maybe it's heading in the right direction. And, you know, everything comes together in terms of the guys, you know, developing and, you know, George Barnett figuring out how to use those pieces and all that stuff happens. Um, and that would be the best case scenario moving forward. Um, we saw Deontay Vines uh, get a few uh, reps last week, and he'll conceivably get more this week. Um, what do you think he adds to the to the receiver core? We haven't seen anything from him, so it's hard to know, I guess. A competent receiver, you know, somebody who might be able to run around and catch a pass and and yay. Um, yeah, I know. I, I I don't want to set the expectations like, well, look, we got this guy. But but I think now that you have four rece- scholarship receivers who have at least been in the system for a couple of years, that I think that it can, you know, I mean, Regani is probably the clearly the number one. Bruce has, has been the, the, the true warrior of the group because he's actually been there. Uh, it is only a true sophomore, but you know, Vines had a good camp and it, and it really cost him. And at least you've got a guy out there who you feel like, all right, well, you recruited him for a reason and now he's here. And then Brody Brecht brings, um, you know, height. And you just want to see more there. So 
you know, maybe that's just to just get somebody out there that can do something. And hey, if he catches two passes for 20 yards, maybe you didn't get that before that. And I think that's uh, that's just a positive. Right now, they just need to play and try to succeed. No question. And uh, this is a you know an opportunity. This can be a get right game. Um, and they need to get right. There's no doubt about it. I mean, this is the game where, okay, we've had the run of Michigan, Illinois, Ohio State. This is kind of – we can come up for air here, uh, but be careful. Tread lightly with right, Fitz right. coming to town. Because exactly. I can tell from watching Fitz's press conference on Monday, I think he's relishing this opportunity too because he's seen yeah. Iowa's offense. Well, exactly. It's like if you can – pin down Iowa's offense and then they they know how to frustrate Iowa's defense they've done it before even really good ones they frustrated them and it's not like they've blown them out by any stretch but they know how to move and navigate you know they did it two years ago to get 21 points on a you know maybe the best defense we've seen since 04 or 09 or 10 so you know I think this is uh, he you know and he probably looks at this as hey this is one opportunity for us to get a win too and do the same thing. Maybe they're not they're not going to go to a bowl game, but at least what they can do is say, you know, before they play Ohio State, <laughs> that they can build some confidence and, you know, yeah. and hey, you know, and they look at Iowa as a rival, and I think Iowa looks at them as a rival, uh, just not, not, no trophy involved. I always said that it, needs, it should be like a, a paper bag, you know, from the Oasis. You know, they can play for that. You know, there's a <laughs> Cheetos bag. And, but it doesn't need that. Yeah, Panda Express. <laughs> the Panda you know. Express trophy. <laughs> <laughs> the overflowing garbage can, uh, you know, next to the S Barrow or the uh, well, no, it was the Starbucks. <laughs> you know, it always seems to be like a bunch of coffee cups on the ground. I know. <laughs> uh, let's hit one more topic, Scott, here before we move on to our picks, um, which corrected themselves last week. I suck again. Oh, I suck again. Um, Big picture. Big 10 stuff this week. Uh, Schedule for football next week. Uh, You wrote about kind of what the plan is here going forward once USC and UCLA come on in 24. Uh, Divisions again next year. Schedule's out now. Just kind of give people an overview of kind of where things are headed here. Yeah, I was able to get that story for the for Monday, just that divisions are here one more year, you know, see you later divisions after next year. That what happened was that I think they should call them legend of the leaders just for old time's sake for you know, go out on a go out on a high note. Absolutely. I agree. Let's do it. We can do it ourselves. <laughs> East we and can, West, that's boring. Yeah. Right. Let's let's bring back legends and leaders. And, uh, we'll call the legends the West, you know, but uh, Purdue on like, the well, schedule next year. Hated rival. Yeah, it actually has <laughs> turned it into that a little bit. Yeah, right. Yeah, there is a there is some hate element to that. So, you know, uh, the, the, the thing that makes it fun is that you look at the, the West division is set up perfectly for Iowa. And, I, you know, and it's because all of those teams except Purdue are on your border. And all of them you have huge histories with, and they're all, there's, there are elements, organic elements that make it such a rich tradition. 
And, and then you also add in uh, Penn State has gotten there and you got to go there. <laughs> Michigan State comes back, first time with fans since, what, 2013. Uh, you know, they did play in 20 at Kinnick. And, uh, you know, and then Rutgers comes to town. That'll be great. <laughs> but, but you, you know, you look at that and you go, uh, you know, it, what it made sense for the Big Ten was that there was there were all kinds of different elements at play. There were some ADs in particular that were like, you know what, I don't want to just change it for 23 and then change it again for 24. We want to just, why don't we just unveil it all at once? And then there were other, you know, then the other discussion was, well, how many protected rivals are we going to have? How often are we going to play them? That sort of thing. And some schools like Iowa wanted three, other schools wanted two, some didn't want any. So there was just this really weird, um, you know, combination of things. And then, some the ADs got kind of antsy and said, you know, hey, we need to get a schedule. We need to start building on this because our campus people want to get word out on homecoming and stuff like that. So then they said, okay, fine, let's just get it. Let's just do it. There were no, there were six locational switches, which is what prompted us to change anyway. But other than that, there were no game switches, no team switches like there were this year. It was just, let's just get it out and change the schedule and we're done with it. So um, now in 24, and uh, I'll say this, that there are a couple of things that could, uh, that, that are still remain to be seen. Number one, the second Black Friday game. Uh, there will be another one. Uh, we'll see a couple of Friday night games, uh, Big Ten games. We'll also see potential for a Labor Day Saturday game, or Sunday game, I'm sorry. Um, I don't, does Iowa figure in any of that? I don't know. Uh, as far as week zero goes, there are no week zeros now. I don't know that that may be something that could end up happening in a later date um, for next year. But um, by it all large, depends on what TV wants. Yeah, exactly. So they're going to move some of that. And they they want to have. <coughs> excuse me. Oh yeah, they want to have week zero. They love week zero because it does have. I mean, like Nebraska Northwestern had all kinds of different, uh, you know avenues uh, i don't like you know i don't like it being called week zero yeah just call like, it week one well now they if they could change it they will <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know? But it's like it, when somebody says we don't have a medium soda we have small large and extra large it's pretty true though isn't it <laughs> you, you know you you go somewhere like a fast food restaurant you get a small and it's still like a dixie cup and then you ask for a medium and it's like a old big gulp you know it's like, <laughs> like a, bar- a barrel an oil yeah. barrel i know i'm like i just want a medium i'm like holy cow no wonder <laughs> no wonder we all look like this um <laughs> but uh you know and then in 24 you know it it hasn't been set yet but the the, the thought is that they're gonna go to one single conference structure then it's about how many protected games each team has that's the next part of the discussion one area that, you know, I know I've talked about a lot is everybody gets three protected teams. And then you can deem some of those series as permanent, some that aren't, um, you know, because you'd be a fool if you thought that Michigan, Ohio State isn't going to play every year. You know, um, but like Iowa has three. Nebraska, Iowa is definitely going to happen. Minnesota and Iowa probably will happen. And if it's even at three, there's not a guarantee that Iowa-Wisconsin will happen, but it could. Um, but if you can put those all on ice, 
And then for the other teams in the league, it could be exciting. You can say, you know what, let's let's have USC start off with a bang. Your protected rivals are UCLA, Penn State, and Ohio State for four years. And they'll be like, what? And I'll be like, oh, yeah, then we're going to do this. And so then they would play those three teams for a four-year period. And then at the end of four years, okay, you're still going to play UCLA every year. But maybe we're going to have you play Michigan and Nebraska or, you know, maybe Wisconsin's good again. And, you know, just, just something like that. I, I think that makes sense. And then, like, for Penn State, you could say, yeah, we know you don't really care, but you're going to play Ohio State every year because that's turned into a heck of a series and it's great for TV. Um, we're going to have you rotate every four years, Maryland and Rutgers. So that means you play them six times over eight rather than one team all eight years and the other team four. And then, you know, we'll leave it open. Maybe we'll have, maybe you have a good series with USC and we'll just, we think that's going to be a fun one or Nebraska. Maybe you're going to play UCLA because it's closer for us, you know, maybe USC and UCLA. So it's close. I think that those possibilities to me make it interesting. Um, so you could have a combination of like say nine or 10 permanent rivalries and like 14 or 15 rotational permanent rivalries. Yeah. I'll be interested to see how this plays out and how they incorporate two teams that are all the way out in the Western time zone and having to figure out start times and things like that for, uh, you know, the three hour difference between, you know, a, a portion of your um, conference and then the, the, you know, all the way on the other side. So um, let's just, I will do this as a public service here for those that have not seen it. The 2023 schedule uh, Iowa plays host to Utah State to start, trip to Ames in week two. Uh, Western Michigan comes to Kinnick for the final non-conference game. Uh, conference play kicks off on Saturday, September the 23rd, as Scott said, out uh, in State College, Michigan State at Iowa. Purdue at Iowa, trip to Madison uh, in October. Uh, the middle of October, which we haven't seen in a while, and Minnesota the week after that comes to Iowa. Uh, so two, you know, two Western Division opponents uh, come to Iowa City, or excuse me, Iowa plays two Western Division po- opponents in October. Uh, November starts with North North a trip to Northwestern, then Rutgers uh, in a weird November game at Kinnick, uh, then Illinois at Kinnick, Black Friday. Uh, at Nebraska. So very manageable. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, to, I, I put together kind of a big 10 um, post yesterday. I, I was kind of the lead on that. Um, and probably the one game that stands out is because they want to mean, okay, what's the best crossover game and, and, and all that stuff. I put Penn, Iowa, Penn state because of all the feistiness from the last time that this, yep. you know, and I saw that with uh you know, my colleague, Audrey Snyder, when she wrote something, it was like, uh, you know, it's like, we will, we're not, you know, September 23rd, 2023, our revenge that showed like one of the Iowa fans going, oh, like this. So, <laughs> yeah. is there a more, or is there a more disliked coach in the Big Ten than James Franklin? Uh, the only one that's close is the one north of here. Yeah. He yeah. wears tight pants. Yeah. I, but I would say that he is. And Rose yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and he and remember, he's going to be the one if if uh, they win Floyd, he'll be the first one in the trophy. <laughs> yeah, him in his tight pants. 
he'll just be running out there out sprinting his his players and you know to go <laughs> grab Floyd and he'll hold it above his head and then he'll hand it off to the lineman and they'll carry him off the field next to Floyd and so just remember that Iowa <laughs> when you go out there that's what that's what's waiting for you if you lose Floyd so <laughs> all right Scott I've put this off long enough let's hear the picks let's hear the last week's uh outcomes and uh then we'll get into picking this week and I will throw out my losers. All right. Well, I, uh, last week I rebounded a little bit and you regressed a tad and, uh, you went two and three. I went three and two. The only one that we were diff- split on was Maryland Northwestern. I took Northwestern in the 13 and a half and you took, uh, you know, the, the mighty Terrapins. Uh, so that game both- was tied with like two or three minutes left, and then Maryland ripped off like a 75 yard touchdown run. So, there you go, Iowa fans. There's a chance yeah. to get a 75 yard touchdown run. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I would be in favor of anything that's 75 you know, involves 75 yards and a touchdown. If I and you can guarantee I'll be on the wrong end of the field with my camera wherever the touchdown goes because that's the way it happens. Yeah, I know, but just. Focus on the audience because they're you're going to see about six deaths. People passing out. <laughs> you see, you know, Fred Sanford reaction. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. You know, red, <laughs> red, red fox. Let's get out of here. I had the Riley Moss uh, fumble recovery touchdown in Illinois, and then it got wiped out. I was mad at all those shots. But anyway, nobody wants to hear my sorrows. Yeah, no, that's that's the problem. We we all have those ghost. Um, I, I've joked about like personal ghost stories that, that evaporate, you know, they're like a hologram of Tupac Shakur where you, <laughs> you have the story kind of written and all of a sudden it's boom, it's gone. <laughs> and, and the biggest one for me in recent years was probably the first Field of Dreams game <laughs> between the Yankees and the White Sox where I had about 700 words written going into the ninth inning, all the pomp and circumstance of the day and how great it was and then of course the ninth inning I think the Yankees blast three home runs and then Tim Anderson wins it on a home run it's like okay everything I just wrote is now in, in the ash heap of history but um best laid plans yeah but I didn't I didn't mind that much it was, it was kind of fun to write a game that interesting which doesn't happen in baseball every except for every couple of decades no they should wait a little longer to start the world series yeah, yeah. I mean, Started uh, in December. Right. Let's uh got Houston and um Philadelphia. Yeah, we want snow in Philly for the World Series. <laughs> yeah, the, the whole start plan for that is stupid, isn't it? You know, yep. let's just you know, instead of waiting, let's waiting, take waiting. all the momentum we built from, you know, the championship series and let it die out. Yeah. I mean, you think about it, you lost all the midweek. You yeah. lost the, there's nothing going on. You know, and, you know, they should have, you know, kicked it up, you know, and started it earlier. And, yep. and now you're waiting till Friday and then it's, um, then you, you're going, you're going against pro football. You're going against even college football on Saturday. You're going to kill your audience. I mean, there's, it's still going to get decent numbers, but not like what it would be if it was say Tuesday and Wednesday of this week, but oh, not a well-run sport. Um, it's, it's brutal. I'm all in favor of blowing it up. I'm not that way usually in most things, but how I would do it, Rob, and and I love the old the old National League, the National League East that you and I grew up with. That you're in the Mets and the Cubs and the Cardinals all playing each other, the and Phillies the and the Pirates, and the Expos. Yep. 
and they all had identities. So you, you know, teams were pretty much the same year after year and you hated players on your, you respected them now, especially, but you hated them, you know, and now do I care about the San Diego Padres or the Miami Marlins or any, no, not really. I would just, I think that now that the DH is universal, this is, this is probably pretty crazy, but I would go four divisions of either eight or seven across the sport and do it by region. I would have like the East consist of Red Sox, Yankees, Mets, Orioles, uh, Blue Jays, uh, Nationals, what maybe the Montreal team, if they get one back or something, um, you know, have like a Midwest or middle part, which would be like Detroit, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, uh, Miami, what if Tampa Bay and Atlanta or something like that, then like Chicago school, you know, just, just kind of bunch them that way. At yeah. the West. Cause I, I think I could have more fun watching it. I, like the Cubs play the White Sox and the Twins and the Royals more than again, some of the other teams, the division's fine. I don't mind the division right now, you know, the Reds or the Pirates or whatever, but I, I just think that that would probably, you know, if you're going to get more Red Sox Mets series, I think people will be more interested than seeing the Mets. And you're, you can tell me this if I'm full of BS, but then see the Mets play the Giants, even. And, you know, yeah. it's not like they, they left New York, you know, 70, whatever. <laughs> they need a pitch clock, too. Yeah, right. Anyway, our, our old man ran of the day. <laughs> old dudes. All right. Let's hear the, uh, let's throw the games out there that I'm going to pick wrong. Okay, I've seen the number fluctuate. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but Illinois at Nebraska. Illinois at minus seven and a half. Is that what you have? I, You know, Scott, I haven't had a chance to even look at the games yet, so I'll go with whatever you have. I think I remember okay. seeing it at seven and a half earlier this week uh, when I looked, okay. which was probably Monday. So that's good enough for me. All right. So my, Illinois set minus seven and a half at Nebraska. Um Illinois has been off for a week. So is Nebraska for that matter. I'm going to go, I, I don't like the hook on this and I'm not so sure that I even like the, the point spread. So I'm going to go with Nebraska at home. Um, Illinois, I think has been kind of fo- fortunate that there've been some down teams, uh, teams not playing well. I, I think they're better than they, obviously they're better than what I expected, but they are, uh, uh, and I'm not saying Nebraska is good, but I just on the road, a lot of people loving them right now. It's it's, uh, it's there's a chance for a little bit of a slip up here. Yeah, I think that's too. I'm with you. Uh, Illinois' offense is uh, not great. Good defensive team, kind of a grinder team. I think seven and a half is too much when you have a opponent like or a, a team like that. I think the you're giving them too much credit uh, yeah. for how it's you know how they're winning. So, and I think Nebraska's got some firepower on offense still. We'll be able to score a little bit on Illinois. Uh, I think Illinois probably wins the game, uh, but that's too many points. So I'll take uh, I'll take the points with the Big Red. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Michigan State at Michigan minus twenty one and a half. Ooh. That's a heavy, heavy, heavy number. Um, I mean, I like the Wolverines to win, no question. But I also, and th- this comes down to. Do you think they're they're going to punish Sparty because they definitely want to, but do you think Sparty's up to the challenge of, hey, we're going to throw down and we're going to give you a game, 
And I kind of think that might be the case with, with Sparty. I'm going to go with Michigan State. I think Michigan wins, but I think Sparty covers. Is it that's at the big house? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with you on this one. I, 21 and a half is just a lot in a rivalry game. And uh, I don't have a read on Michigan State, to be honest with you. Um, you know, it beats Wisconsin at home, loses to gets crushed by Minnesota at home. Um, just been an inconsistent team. But uh, I think just emotionally in this one, uh, the emotions and the effort will keep them within three touchdowns. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah. that's my compliment for sporting this week. They can stay within three touchdowns. Exactly. And, you know, there'll be, you know, 15 seconds left in the game. They're on the Michigan five-yard line, trailing 41 to 14. <laughs> and, and you, you know, punch it in, punch it in and get the extra point. And, uh, voila, you know, they're, they lose 41, 21. So um, Rutgers at Minnesota, the Gophers giving up 14. This is uh, interesting because the Gophers got crushed last week at Pennsylvania State um, in the second half more than anything. I think it was a competitive game in the first half. Backup um, quarterback did not yeah. look did not look good. Right. I mean, you look that, that's the thing I've been kind of telling people, you know, that about Iowa is look going up to Minnesota before the season. I thought Minnesota might win that game, but I'm not looking at Minnesota right now, going, you know, they're they're going to get you. You know, I think that. <laughs> What's know, Tanner I, Morgan's status? Is he out this week again? I don't know. That's a good question. I think, uh, you know, this machine I'm on right now might have some of those answers. But Because yeah. uh, it's a big difference. That, that kid who Iowa offered, I think. I don't know how to say his last name. Yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. He's uh, <laughs> His brother know, he's is a receiver, pretty, I think, up there. Yeah, he's. It's still it, the fate's up to the medical staff. For okay. Him. The most recent one. So, um, so anyway, um, uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Rutgers. Um, I, I think Minnesota wins, but I think Rutgers uh, is tough enough defensively that it might be able to slow down Mo Ibrahim. The passing game doesn't get on, on track. Um, I, I think it still wins, but I just that's a heavy number. You know, yeah, this is a big number, and it's tough to know without Morgan playing. Yeah, um, what to and Morgan, expect? Yeah, he was four at twelve at, at Illinois, so yeah. it wasn't. Yeah, it's it, not. It, yeah, it's not the cavalry coming. No, uh, to save the day by any means, but at least he's a, a veteran that I think uh, yeah. can help. But um, I'm going to go with. I'm going to, I'll go with Rutgers as well here. I just, I don't think Minnesota's in a good place right now offensively, despite having arguably the best running back in the conference. Um, but if he gets going and, and Rutgers can't contain him, they'll cover that 14 without a problem. I just think Rutgers can key on him uh, without much of a passing game for Minnesota. Yeah. Right. But I'm with you. I think the goal going. Yeah. 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 Um... You know, like Tanner Morgan is so inconsistent. He was 23 of 26 at at uh, Sparty. And I'm like, oh, boy. You know, and they, they only gave up the shutout in the last couple seconds. Um, so I thought for sure that, okay, this uh, he's back to 2019. And then, you know, 4 at 12 at Illinois. And, like, and yeah. watching that game, it, was, it wasn't very good. Um, the game of the day, 
uh, at Happy Valley. Ohio State minus 15 and a half at Penn State. I'll let you go first on this one. This is a tough one because um, I don't really have feel like I have a decent read on Penn State this year either. Yeah. Um, got mauled at Michigan, um, but this will be a tough place, obviously one of the tougher places to play in the conference. I'm going to go with what I think is the superior team here, and I'm throwing the points with Ohio State because I think they're begging you to take Penn State here with that many points. Um, I'm there with you. Um, I think – you know, I mean, first of all, the, the real number should be how many uh, over an uh, over under and how many times we hear a seven nation army. But, um, <laughs> you know, these two teams, the, the big it's I've been calling it the theme song of the Big Ten East for a while. But, Is this um, the big noon game? Yeah. OK. Yeah. Because Michigan, Michigan State's at night. OK. So, uh, yeah. So it's big noon because of the World Series and stuff. And, I, I think, which really sucks, because this is like one of those games I think should be at night. You should have a wide out. Yep. You know, at, at Ohio State, it's not that big of a deal, but at, at Happy Valley, it should be a wide out. Uh, but watching them up close, and, and even watching Illinois up close, the talent disparity is, is significant. I think Michigan's a very good team, and, and they can, they're capable of beating an Ohio State on a good day. But Penn State is, um, I don't think they have it. I don't think they're as good. I think they're they're closer to the pack than they are to Ohio State and Michigan this year. So the they one might thing I've noticed with Penn State is the inability to kind of stretch the field. They don't have as good guys on the outside. They've got really good tight ends and they're utilizing them well. And I like the young running backs a lot. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. But I think Ohio State's going to be able to uh, stack it against Penn State without having to worry about. Uh, going over the top yeah i agree um nick singleton's great he's going to be great in the league for a while at worst he'll be miles sanders at best he'll be close to saquon barkley that's pretty heavy company drew aller will be a great quarterback sean clifford is serviceable he's good you know he's better than what we've seen here um poor man's trace mcsorley yeah, I, I say he's kind of the yeah, right. He's not as quick, that's for sure. No. I, I I've got called him the Andy Dalton of the Big Ten. So yeah, that's a good comp. Yeah, so uh, I, I think Ohio State just you know they might give up some points. They might give up twenty points, but I think they can score in the forties easily on these guys, and uh, just they got too many weapons. And finally, the one we're covering in the last, you could, if I'm wrong, please correct me, but. Iowa minus 11 and a half. Is that? I've seen it kind of floating between that 10 and a half and 11 and a half. So that's fine with me. Okay. I've seen it move too. You know, it's, but either, even so. I think it opened at nine. Yeah. I I think I could see it two different ways here. And this is just weird. I could see it being really, really close, competitive, and maybe Northwestern pulling out a win. Or I could see, you know, kind of like, Kind of like Iowa in 2014, where it just said, all right, we're done with this. We're, we've got to do something. And they have their breakout game. They score a ton of points. They win decisively. And so those are the polar opposites of how to, how to pick this game. But because It's Iowa it's, Northwestern. It's tough to get a read. Yeah, and I've never been able to do that. But I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to go with the, uh, you know, since I cover Iowa, I'm going to go with the risk averse strategy here. And I'm going to go with uh, Northwestern 
um, 11 and a half, because I just don't know that Iowa can score enough points to have an 11 and a half differential in points. Or, you know, even if it was 10, I'd probably still pick the same thing. Because as we said, this is the eighth time in a Fitz, Fitzgerald Barrett's matchup that Iowa's been a double digit favorite. And Northwestern has won six outright and is covered every single time. So I'm going to go that route here too. Yeah, I thought you'd take Iowa, but I'm with you. I'm going to take Northwestern. Um, just it's too many points with the Iowa's offense right now. Maybe they'll maybe it'll prove me wrong uh, on Saturday and, and have somewhat of a breakout on that side of the ball, or maybe the defense scores three touchdowns, yeah, which right. certainly I would not be surprised by. Uh, yeah. But I throwing eleven and a half points with a with an offense that hasn't scored a touchdown in its last two games to me is insanity. I know everybody's betting on this breakout and I understand it and I could see it happen. And that's, that's the problem, which then again, if Iowa could run the ball, I would probably be more apt to do that and be probably more apt to lose it. (laughs) Cause then you'd say, Oh, well, yeah, they're not very good here and overlook this aspect. And then you, then all of a sudden eh, it's typical Northwestern Iowa. So I I think uh, it's probably going to be close. And, uh, you know, and, but that said it, what would be the ultimate juice cleanse for this offense is to get a hundred rushing yards, yeah. no turnovers and a long passing touchdown. If you could do that, it's like an enema just it's out all the waste. Yeah. That's a unpleasant <laughs> mental image uh, for sure. Sorry. Sorry <laughs> I had to go. With well, one that's needed. Uh, with yeah. what we've seen so far, um, yeah. two thirty kickoff. Uh, if you haven't heard, that was moved uh, from the earlier time uh, before the season. So two yeah. thirty at Kinnick Stadium, homecoming. Um, hopefully, Iowa. I remember it was at ninety. It was ninety eight. I think Hayden's last year. We were in that old part of the stadium, and somebody from the DI. I can't remember who it was. Uh, Iowa squeaked out a win against Northwestern at home. And uh, somebody asked him how it felt about getting that homecoming win at home. And Hayden goes, yeah, big homecoming win against Northwestern. And <laughs> just he was like, he was, I think he was done at that point. And yeah. uh, he was close to being done at that point. Yeah. So um, you got to kind of walk before you can run here. And I know that's a tired cliche, but really Iowa just needs to get get a win this weekend and show some life on offense. I think those are the two objectives. Yeah. And it's one of those that, you know, I think what this team would love to see and what would be, you know, is if they have a good win and, and, you know, Kirk is an emotional guy and go in the locker room and bawling his eyes out and singing the Iowa fight song for them, I think would be something that would really, you know, be kind of a salve to the season at this point. And, and then you look at four and four and, and going forward again, they are in the ballpark with the re- remaining four teams. Yep. Can, can they win two? Yes. Can they win three? Yes. Can they lose all four? Yes. You know, so it's just a matter of, but you can't, to me, this one is the, the mandatory one because if you go three and five at this point, you're stretched into saying, yeah, I mean, they can still win those games, but, you know, there's no reason to believe it when you can't even beat a Northwestern. And, and then the rest of the month, this is the, the biggest problem I would face then is that it would drift from anger to apathy. 
and as a as a sports program you do not you never want that no. you want them engaged yeah you want them happy but you want you'd rather have them mad than ignoring you because basketball has had that issue that I, I don't think they've ever fully recovered to what they were 20 years ago at the end of the even at the end of the Davis beginning of the Alford era so I think that they there, the, the, there were enough people that kind of started to tune them out, realized that they could live without Iowa basketball, that now are just casual fans instead of diehards. And you do not want to have that happen to football because that you need that cash cap. Yeah, no question. And uh, you're playing for season ticket sales for next year, too, as you finish out yeah. this season, and that's important. Um, but they'll be, uh, they're sold out Saturday, 2.30 yeah. Central Time. Uh, Kent yeah. Stadium. Enjoy yourselves, everybody. Um, be safe. Uh, be nice. Uh, don't <laughs> uh, the booze don't help when you're at the stadium. They may help you and make you feel better for a few seconds, but it's not helping your team. So, um, yeah. Anything else, Scott? Before we get out of here, I think we've gone wrong. No, way. I think so. Um, I, yeah, let's just let's just hope for some fun because this has been a it's been a tough stretch for everybody. Uh, women's basketball, Scott will be there tomorrow night, exhibition game. He's a season ticket holder this year. His wife, Meredith, loves the Hawkeye women, and so he'll be out there tomorrow night. So if you're in the area and you're coming for football, check that out tomorrow night. The men play uh, Monday night uh, on Halloween against uh, Truman State exhibition. These are both exhibitions. Uh, Jeff Horner brings his team back into town on Monday night. So a couple of chances to get your first look at the Iowa basketball teams this winter. Scott and I will talk more about that on the podcast once we get, once the season gets rolling here a little bit more, but football really is, uh, really is the, is the main topic right now. And that's why we spent a lot of time on this. We didn't get to recruiting on this. There's been some more offers and things, and we'll get to that next week. Uh, I just felt like there was a lot on the plate this week that we needed to hit for football. Yeah, I agree. It makes sense. And we'll see kind of what happens next week and beyond. And then we'll be, uh, uh, you know, ready for the, the grand finale and whether or not I was going bowling or, or going home. So. Yep, we'll be back next week to talk about the Charlie Jones Tyrone Tracy Bowl down in West Lafayette. But thank you, everybody, for listening uh, to this edition, uh, this episode of the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast. Uh, thank you to all of our sponsors. Uh, be safe. We'll talk to you guys next week. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.